0: We don't wait until we're ready for someone to tell us we're good enough. We take what we want and we anoint ourselves. Get ready to earn, own, and unapologetically rock your happiness every single day. Are you with me? Here we go. Welcome back to the show, everyone. And I have a very special guest who I hold in such high regards today and before we get started I want to thank you for making my book a number 1 best selling book that is all you. Let me tell you, when I went from literally writing the book into marketing the book, it is a totally different world of attempting to get a book out into the world. And there's no way to do that without all of you and all of you listening to the podcast who have so generously shared the book. That is how it will continue to get out into the world. So I always have one big ask around the book. It's that if it has touched you, if it has changed your life at all, if it has added any value, please continue to share either on social media or just letting people know that it's a book that impacted your life and that would mean the world to me. And as always, there is a free book club community on Facebook at A Tribe Called Bliss and you can join that totally for free to see all of the cool stuff we have going on. I actually have a contest going on that you can find out about about there where you and three other of your tribe members maybe you haven't formed it yet but there's still time because this is running for a couple months can actually get a free ticket to the bliss project 2019 so you and three other tribe members could be going to the bliss project for free you can get your tickets for free Uh, And you can find out how to do that at a tribe called Bliss on Facebook, and I have community managers in there, so you can always just ask questions. And I'm also in there from time to time, making sure that you guys are having fun with your book clubs and truly deeply connecting. So back to the guest today. My guest is Bedros Koulian. I adore this human being. I just recently actually got to speak at one of his big masterminds. It was a thousand people. And it was Fitness Business Summit. Bedros Kulian is a best-selling author, speaker, and business consultant. He's the founder and CEO of Fit Body Bootcamp, one of the nation's fastest-growing franchises, and an investor in over a dozen companies ranging from software, digital ad agencies, and coaching and consulting services. He's known as the hidden genius that entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, and thought leaders turn to when they want to create high-level masterminds and coaching programs and quickly scale their businesses. His sales, marketing, and business systems are the secret weapon used by thousands of successful digital marketers and entrepreneurs who want to reach more high paying clients and customers without the use of unpredictable or sleazy marketing tactics. He's an immigrant from a communist country turned hugely successful entrepreneur. Bedros uses the stage TV and social media platforms to share his personal immigrant edge and American dream story to help inspire audiences worldwide To reach their fullest potential and you guys I don't care if you have a business or not or if you're thinking of one or if you just want to feel motivated today because every time this human opens his mouth so much wisdom comes out and I can tell you that his heart is such a beautiful heart of service he actually invited Chris and I down to um, his main fit body boot camp location or uh, um, his actual headquarters And he offered to spend an entire afternoon with us just really talking about our business and masterminding. And that is exactly what Chris and I did. We would never say no (laughs) to somebody offering us help. And I will tell you that it blew my mind and I felt so expansive afterward. And this was just him offering up his time to us. He wanted to add value to our lives. And I was so grateful for that. So as much value as I can put back into his life, you guys go follow him, grab his book when it comes out. I cannot wait for you to hear this podcast. So let's get started. Pedros, I'm so excited to have you on today because I actually uh, heard you for the first time on Lewis Howe's podcast and the fact that I now get to have you on my podcast and that so much has taken place in between then and now is so exciting. So thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Lori. It's it's funny because having met you at Lewis's Mastermind, talk about coming full circle. I know. Uh, Lewis interviewed me for his podcast uh, a year and a half later, I teach him and help him start his mastermind. Then I meet you in his mastermind when I come out there to teach. And then here I am on your podcast. So it's the the chain of events is just fascinating.
0: Oh my God. There was, I, I remember I had, I had written him after your, and I'd never done anything like that, to be honest. Like I'd written him after your podcast. And I was like, um, it, it was on Insta stories or message or something like that. And I was like, do you have anything like this for people like who are are you thinking of doing anything like this are you are like who else is doing things like this um, masterminds like in the area and he was like I'm gonna start one just sit tight I was like what oh,
1: <laughs> so that's kind of
0: how that all began and then you guys I also um, just got to speak at your fitness business summit which was so cool to be in the room with a thousand incredible entrepreneurs all brought together by you um, and I know that that is just just such a small, like even that was just a tiny portion of what you do, Bedros. And it's really, really beautiful to see um, you are not only a leader in business, but every time I listen to you, there is so much wisdom, just life wisdom that trickles over into business. And I really think that your foundation is so strong in life that it's, that's why all businesses that you have and run are so successful. So I'm really, really excited to have this conversation with you today about the parallels, um, of resiliency in business and in life. And so I, 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 Can't wait. So what is the main thing for you? Um, I think I would love for you to share just about maybe your past experiences of what has really brought you to what you're doing now.
1: So really the main thing for me is I realized long ago that human nature is to run away from pain. And I realized if you want any kind of joy, success, fulfillment, impact in life, you have to embrace the pain. You have to embrace the suck factor. And Mm. And I say that because I, I just imagine as cavemen, when we're out there in the wilderness, when there was a fire, we would run away from it. When there was a uh, an animal that looked ferocious, we would run away from it. And our instincts is always to run away from things that would cause us pain, which is a good survival mechanism. Mm. But that mechanism now in in this modern world doesn't serve us. And I was that guy. I would always try and do. You know, I wanted to play it safe and make sure the risks are always stacked in the odds are off stacked in my favor and I didn't take big risks. I stayed in right in the middle of my comfort zone, didn't even want to lean to the sides of my comfort zone, let alone step out of it, Lori. And I realized very quickly as I was getting closer to 30 years old, man, I really don't have anything to show for it in my life. I was the guy that was all talk and no action. Mm. Uh, But then when I started to embrace, like thinking back, when did I have the biggest breakthroughs in life is when I did things that were uncomfortable is when things, uh, like like the move, the move from uh, when my father decided we're going to escape Armenia, a communist country, escape the Soviet Union, and come to the United States in 1980. I was six years old. Like, talk about a big breakthrough. By doing that escape and coming to the United States, I had to learn a, uh, English. I had to learn a new culture. I had to learn to make new friends. Well, I realized the ability to come and assimilate has now taught me and given me the gift of being able to walk into any networking event, Mm. live event, workshop, whatever, and quickly make friends and build rapport because we moved around so many times as when I was a kid here in the United States, you know, 14 different apartments within the first like five years that we lived in. I went to three elementary schools, two junior highs and two high schools. I had to make friends and had to say goodbye to friends very quickly. So I've got this ability to compartmentalize which some people think that's a bad thing. Guess what? That, I think that's a very good thing. In mm. business, as an entrepreneur, you have to compartmentalize. Mm. Um, or when you are trying to lock on onto your weight loss, you have to compartmentalize and put all of your friends and and associates who want to drink wine and eat cheese on the weekends, you have to put them out of your mind and out of your circle. Mm. Uh, compartmentalizing. So. I've learned very quickly that the more adversities I can actually face in life, the better my life becomes when I get to the other side of that adversity. So I run towards pain or challenges or discomfort instead of trying to avoid them these days.
0: Mm. You know, you use the word escape and that's, I mean, I can't even imagine what that was like. Can you describe, can you share a little bit more about what that actually looked like? What were the feelings around it? What was the conversation like in your family?
1: yeah yeah so it's actually a pretty crazy story so my dad was a member of the communist party Mm. and as a member of the communist party in soviet union he had a lot of privileges but he didn't want to be a member his whole thing was i believe in the american way i believe in democracy i hate communism but of course he couldn't publicly say that and so he had to be a good little communist but little did anyone else know that behind the scenes he was saving up money so that he can bribe the russian government or the soviet government at the time and so that we can escape because my brother was about to turn 19 and in the Soviet union, when you turn 19, you're automatically gone into the army. Well, of course, back then the Soviet army was at war with Afghanistan. Like we are now. And my dad was like, there's no way in hell that my son older son is going to go to war and come back mm-hmm. dismembered or, or dead. Cause that's what was happening. And so his goal was to get the whole family out of the Soviet Union before my older brother turned 19. And so he saved up 25,000 rubles, bribed the Soviet consul, and we escaped into Italy. And after two weeks in Italy, we went to the American consul. And my dad said, look, I'm a refugee. I'm a political refugee. If I go back to the Soviet Union, they're gonna kill me. Um, And I want to go to the United States because I believe in the American way and the democracy. And we legally entered the United States on June 16th, 1980. Mm. Um, What's crazy about that is literally the next day, my dad had a paper route because he, a friend of a friend lived out here in California and had a, had a two bedroom apartment. And he said, for one month, you guys, a family of five can live in my one bedroom apartment, uh, take that spare bedroom. But after that, you have to go. So the guy set him up with a paper route the next day that we came out, came to the united states within about a week my dad now has a paper route uh is is pumping gas and working at a pizzeria washing dishes and within that same week my sister gets a side job and my brother who's older than me gets a side job and they're significantly older than me i was the baby of the family six years old and my mom's of course watching me and the whole idea is we need to raise enough money so that next month we can get our own own apartment and so my dad in that time discovered that these grocery stores around town have dumpsters behind them and they throw away food that's expired or gone bad, but isn't necessarily all the way bad or isn't fully rotten. And so my dad thought that, Hey, if I just put my son in there, me, mm-hmm. um, and he could just fish out the food. So he would give me a boost into the dumpsters. And to me, it was like a treasure hunt and I would pull out bread and cheese that was moldy, but we would pick the mold off and eat it and mm-hmm. eggs and milk that had expired, which the stores couldn't sell, but they were still edible or drinkable. and you know i became the breadwinner while my <laughs> brother sister and dad were trying to make money so that we can move into an apartment but that escape into the united states and that ability to adapt to the american culture mm. has taught me so much like the human psyche is so adaptable. like my dad was 45 when we came here wow. so when someone says well you know but you can't teach an old dog new tricks my dad had to learn the language he had to learn the culture My brother was 19. My sister was 22. Uh, At their age, they had to learn the language and the culture. I was six years old. I had to learn the language and the culture. My mom was in her early 40s. And so really, our escape to the United States and our ability to grow and prosper is proof that when you're facing adversity, as long as you keep one foot in front of the other and moving forward, you're going to prosper and you're going to get out on the other side in a better place than you were when you first started. Most people would choose not to leave a communist country. It's scary. What if I get caught and I get shipped mm-hmm. off to Siberia? What if this doesn't work and, and we're laughed at? What if we're stuck in Italy? What if we go to the United States and we, we're broke and homeless? And so most people dwell so much on the what ifs that they never are able to break out of the fear in order to see what's on the other side. And I, I commend my dad for doing that because he still instilled in me this, this thing of what's on the other side of fear the thing that I'm most afraid of, the pain, the the anxiety, the frustration. And every time I look to see what's on the other side, life gets better.
0: Mm. Wow, that's amazing. Did you ever ask your dad what he was thinking or, or if he got scared and how he shifted his mindset to like stay focused on the prize?
1: You know, I did ask him that. And I asked him that four years ago. So he's 84 years old now. On his 80th birthday, I was like, hey, dad, I don't think I know exactly how you felt I imagine you would have been in fear. I imagine you would have been terrified that, you know, your plan may not work when we try and escape. Then what? And he didn't say it this eloquently, but he pretty much said his reason why was big enough for him to risk his life and freedom. And his reason why was to make sure that my brother and sister and then later on, as I grew up, didn't have to go into the Soviet army uh, because, remember, Soviet the Soviet Union occupied Armenia. Armenia didn't, you know, we didn't want to be part of the soviet union and so as far as my data was concerned hey we're occupied by this country they're going to war to afghanistan in a war that we don't believe in and he's like my reason why was to save your brother and sister from going into the military um and so i was willing to risk it all which is another great lesson whether you're an entrepreneur or whether in marriage health finance if you have a reason why that's big enough when the pain and frustration and challenges and adversities come your reason why will, will pull you through. But if you don't have a, a deeply rooted reason why, then you're probably gonna give up during the first sign of pain. Mm-hmm,
0: so for you, Bedros, what was one of your, and I'm sure that shifted so much for you, hearing your dad say that, like thinking you have a why, but then also being like, oh my God, like how much bigger is this why? Did that fuel your why, did that shift your why, and what is it?
1: Yeah, I, you know, for me it was real simple in the beginning, I was like, I don't want to let my dad down. He brought us to this country to give us opportunity and freedom that he didn't have. You know, when you come here at the age of 45, you don't necessarily have the same opportunities that a six-year-old would have growing up into the culture. And so I always looked at it as, I don't want to let my dad down. At some point, that changed to me finding my deeper reasons why, which is funny, going back to pain, challenges, and adversities. And I think I talked about this on Chris's podcast, but Um, at what my dad doesn't know, my mom doesn't know is in Armenia, um, right before we escaped for the two years before that, between the ages of four and six, I was consistently molested older boys over and over again. And what they don't know is that by us escaping the Soviet union, they saved me from that constant cycle of molestation. Mm -hmm. And so that's the pain that I went through. And so as I grew up, and became an entrepreneur, and started making money, my reason why shifted from not letting my dad down, it's like, all right, you know, all my dad really wants to see is, hey, start a business or or get a good job and be, be happy and successful. Check. I did that. Mm-hmm. My bigger reason why became, I wanted to help more kids who were in a position like I was. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that money was going to be the tool that I was going to use to help kids who don't have gifts during Christmas. We came to this country for the first three years. I didn't have any, I didn't have a Christmas. Mm. I didn't get any Christmas gifts. So Toys for Tots, the Marine Corps Toys for Tots is one of the big uh, organizations that we sponsor uh, through my company. Um, You know, kids who don't have medical resources available to them or their families, we sponsor the Shriners Children's Hospital. We've also adopted 57 kids through Compassion International. And my goal is to constantly donate more millions to Toys for Tots and Shriners And adopt, you know, never mind 57. I want to have 5,700 kids through Compassion International. So my pain of what I went through as a child, both the molestation and also coming here and, you know, living, going to bed hungry, um, not having Christmas gifts, uh, or even not even having Christmas the first three years, was what led to my reason why, which is to adopt child-based charities and causes. and now I work my butt off so that I can help more kids so they never have to experience what I did. Mm.
0: So what do you think is the difference between you who takes it and runs with it and someone else who sits in it and sees it as the reason for why they can't?
1: I think the reason is that I call it having the immigrant edge. Like mm. when you've come to this country, you had to learn the language. You've suffered a lot. Um, When the economy crashed in 2008, I I didn't, I didn't freak out because I'm like, dude, there's still plenty of money in this country. The money didn't disappear. It just exchanged hands. I need to figure out who's got the money and then sell them something (laughs) of value in exchange for that money. Mm -hmm. Everyone else around me was like, oh my God, the sky is falling. We have to contract. And I was like, no, 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 this is great. Now there's less people. Who are marketing on facebook and on google so the cost of getting a new customer is going to be cheaper for me i always looked at i've always had this silver lining approach to things and i think part of it is because i came from so much pain and suffering as a child that anytime i'm not being molested i'm not starving i don't have lice uh, i had lice i had lice like I, I can tell you how many times i had lice when we came to the united states because we lived in section eight housing And several times my mom had to have my dad pump out gasoline from a parked car, Mm. siphon out gasoline to wash my hair with it because we couldn't afford lice treatment. Mm. So listen, I'm not being molested. I've got food in my stomach. I've got a roof over my head. So life is good. I don't have lice. And so people, if they just showed more gratitude and were appreciative of what, what they have instead of what they don't have, they'd be more willing to take action. Um, I looked at it as the economy crashed, but there's still plenty of money and plenty of opportunity because we live in a free country. So let's just do something to add value. Um, I think more people get caught up into watching the news and listening to the people around them about panic and the sky is falling and that every na- if every neighbor loses their house, eventually you're going to have to lose your house. Because the mindset is like, well, I'm one of them, so I have to lose the house too. I didn't watch the news at that time. I didn't read the newspaper. I just knew that I had my own personal economy. And as long as I can add value to the world, I can build my business even when the economy has crashed. Mm.
0: So I love your ability to constantly think outside the box. I always, whenever I'm listening to you, I'm like, he really just does not take the main road to answers it's like I feel like you're constantly questioning um what's another way we could do this what's a different way like what's a new avenue that we could go down so what is something that you would tell people who maybe feel like um they're kind of out of ideas or maybe everything's been done before what's something that you always ask yourself to kind of get a new answer
1: You know, I always ask myself this, like, what is the problem in an industry or space or niche that I can solve? So if someone's like, Hey, I'm out of problems, uh, you know, or, or I'm out of ideas. like, No, you're not. The world still has problems. Mm -hmm. For example, you know, taxis, we were all using taxis and we were happy with it until some guys like, you know what? There's all these people with cars out there. I got an idea. What if I create an app where we can just use some guy's car to give you a ride somewhere and Uber was created. Well, Uber was created and all of a sudden they started taking all this business from taxis and that's great. But some guys like, you know what? Here's the things that Uber's doing wrong. They still found problems and they created Lyft and they go, here's how we're going to make Lyft different. Mm. And so anytime a new industry economy society is built, there's still newer problems. The iPhone 10 came out. We realized like, oh my gosh, I need a different type of case. the uh, The phone is so big. That a new problem was solved. So now everyone has a pop socket on their iPhone 10, right? Mm. Uh, previous to the big iPhone seven, like sevens, eights, um, you know, we had pop sockets. Previous to that, we didn't. We didn't. So whenever people think they're out of ideas, my challenge to them is: look around you. What are all the problems that you can solve? Maybe it's a service. Maybe it's a product you need to create. Maybe it's a book you need to write. Maybe it's a course you need to manufacture. Uh, mm. there's plenty of problems. You just have to be the solution there's no, there's no lack of ideas. I can tell you that.
0: Mm. Is there a problem right now that you are excited to tackle?
1: Yeah. Yeah. The problem that I'm excited to tackle now, which is funny because I created this franchise called fit body bootcamp and we've got 700 locations worldwide and we're growing it by about 20 locations per month. Wow. But I realized as I learned more about the franchise industry, it's really the good old boys club. Mm. And, you know, McDonald's, Subway, 7-Eleven, they've got a foothold in the franchise space and it costs 500000 to a million dollars to buy into a franchise model. Well, the franchise model now doesn't allow people to get into the average person can't become a small business owner because you see big conglomerates pulling in their money and then buying five to 10 McDonald's or 7-Elevens or Subway at a time. So when I created Fit Body Bootcamp, I said, I see the problem. Uh, big gyms were doing the same thing. Anytime Fitness, Snap Fitness. It costs well over two hundred thousand dollars to buy in and build out. I said, I'm going to create a fitness franchise where gym owners who want to buy into a fitness franchise, they're now they feel locked out. I'm going to keep the buy-in price so low that they can buy in and build out and open for under eighty thousand dollars. And when I did that, so I found a problem in franchising, mm. and I created a product, a business model that comes in at a lower price with more support but what we call fanatical support and because of that we've become one of the fastest growing fitness franchises on the planet
0: mm, wow so where did the, the mastermind um come from on that aspect was that like the fanatical support part
1: yeah yeah okay. people still wanted you know it's funny that you say that see so again more problems mm. people go hey thank you for the fanatical support we appreciate that you guys have in-house coaches but we really like the way bedros thinks we really like the videos that he puts out how great would it be if we can somehow work with him? I was like, oh, there's a new problem. I've got all these Fit Bootcamp owners. We give them as much support as we can, but they still want higher level access to me. And they don't just want to access to me for you know one to eight minute videos. They want two days of, let me sit across from Bedros and ask him questions and and see how he would solve my problems and how he would look at my life and my business uh, through a different pair of glasses. Mm-hmm. And so when you hear enough people asking how can I work with you? You soon go, well, I can create some kind of a higher level coaching or mastermind program to service you, which is ironic because as I created the mastermind program, I have people reaching out to me. Hey, Vedros, I appreciate the mastermind. I value it. But listen, um, what would it take to sit with you one-on-one one-on-one? It's like, Oh my gosh. So there's a new problem. So every time you create a business or you enter a new market or hell, you lose 30 pounds. You have new Mm -hmm. problems. You have to get new clothes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. And sometimes you might have to get new friends if you lose that kind of weight, because your friends want to keep you fat because they're fat and they don't like to see (laughs) you fit. And so you might have to get new friends. So anytime there's a big shift in your life that's Mm -hmm. positive or negative, you're going to have more problems. So I look at that as then who's going to be the solution. So the Fit Body Bootcamp franchise led to a masterminds. The masterminds led to my private coaching businesses because people said masterminds are great, but I still want some higher level one on one private coaching from you. And so you keep solving more problems and you're able to make a bigger impact and more money. Mm.
0: So in your life with all of these things that you have going on and uh, do you find that you still have to seek resistance to get stronger or does your life offer you enough resistance for you to be like, okay, I'm good. I'm still growing. Or do you really seek that
1: out? Yeah, good question. Actually in my life these days, because here's the good news, as you get, bigger as an entrepreneur or i could you know if we tie it in with our our diet or even a marriage or relationship as you get deeper into marriage and relationship there's new levels of challenges that come up you know when you have 700 franchise owners you have new first world problems that you didn't have before third world problems are oh my gosh i got this franchise but we only have 20 owners uh you know first world problems are oh my gosh we have 700 owners and our team here the hq is not growing fast enough what do i do Mm. and so same with the relationship you know it's just you and your spouse that's great you solve through all your problems now you have kids uh, there might be a little friction so there's more pain more resistance to learn from who's going to change the diapers is it my turn is it your turn who's going to feed the baby who's going to watch the baby if i go to the gym or you go to the gym and then the kids get older and they bring in the spouse and maybe you don't like the person who's going to be their spouse and so you have to talk to your kids there's new problems and challenges to work through the good news is life always gives us problems challenges and adversities Majority of people bury their head in the sand and avoid those problems, challenges and adversities instead of actually dealing with them to grow from them, which goes back to communication. Right. Most people are afraid to communicate because they feel that they don't want to hurt someone's feelings or they want to make sure that they don't, um, you know, they have your validation and approval. So they're willing to just suck it up. I say don't suck it up. I say embrace the suck, uh, embrace the pain, have the tough conversations and then grow.
0: Mm. That's such a, a great topic because I think that I think it's Tim Ferriss's quote, like the level of success that you have is dependent upon the amount of tough conversations you're willing to have. Um, mm-hmm. And to me, that's like it, it not only sucks, but it's also awesome and empowering, but it really sucks. So <laughs> what for you being a business owner, like how did you train that muscle of just running straight for those conversations that you need to have?
1: Good question. And you know, what's funny is I had the weakest muscles of all as a entrepreneur, as a leader. And so as I got employees, because we all start off as a, we start a business, you're a solopreneur, then you might get an employee or two. And it's easy to keep the employee or two still on the same page. But as I grew to about eight, nine, 10 employees, I found that there was this weird tension. Mm -hmm. And that if an employee showed up late, uh, they were a few minutes late. Um, I had tension and, and, and this weird passive aggressive behavior towards them, but I didn't really give them feedback Lori so that they can not be late next time. And then when they would clock out a little early, again, I would kind of keep a mental note and start being more passive aggressive towards them and passive aggressive leads to adversarial relationships. Before I knew it, there was so much water under the bridge that I wasn't communicating with my team members. well, And so I had to have this conversation and, I, and the conversation was really actually simple. It was five words. It's time to man up. Mm. And really people are like, well, you know, can people woman up Yeah, You can woman up, you can man up whatever you want, but really you look at the word human. And as humans, we need to human up. We have a higher potential. We're top of the food chain as humans. And most people don't realize that when it's time to human up, when it's time to man up, in my case, it was time to have the conversations with my, employees that I didn't want to have because my business was starting to suffer. Mm. And so instead of avoiding those conversations and giving them feedback, uh, which I wouldn't, I, I always figured if I give them feedback, what if they take it as criticism, I'm going to hurt their feelings. I didn't know how to communicate well. And so I just said one, it's time to man up at a time All right, it's time to man up and talk to her about being late. It's time to man up and talk to my business partner about constantly pivoting our business left and right um, it's time to man up and part ways with my business partner. And I had that, that conversation had to happen, uh, mm. because I had such a bad relationship with him because neither one of us would talk about anything that it became like this toxic marriage where it's two people trying to run a business in two different styles. And we see this in marriages all the time. People are more like roommates than spouses mm-hmm. and the kids suffer the family suffers. Well, what if you can actually have the tough conversations and get good at it. So for me, it was one conversation at a time. I was able to build my muscles and go, oh, you know what? I gave that person feedback. They didn't take it as criticism because mm-hmm. I we always assumed that people are going to take things in the worst possible way. Right. I gave them feedback. They didn't take it as criticism. I gave them feedback and they started showing up on time. I gave them feedback and they're more clear on their vision. I gave them feedback and now they're working harder and doing less trivial stuff. As it turns out, feedback is what people need in life. And I I appreciate feedback. In fact, when you're driving down the road, even if you're driving in a straight line, they say, statistically speaking, for every two miles that you drive, there's something like 300 micro adjustments you do to the steering wheel for every two miles. That's because the road gives you feedback. And based on that, you adjust the steering wheel to stay in your lanes. Well, if we don't give feedback and we don't communicate, how is anyone going to grow? And so for me, I had to stop being passive aggressive. I had to stop looking at it as, you know, these people are just don't have my back, don't want the best for me. And I had to start looking at it as what can I do? What can I be responsible for? Take ownership and have a conversation, have dialogue, give them feedback, set high expectations, and then maintain those expectations Because they are human. They're going to slip. And when they do, I have to give feedback again. And so I went from a solopreneur to a business owner with two or three employees to an entrepreneur, where now I have 40-plus team members here. And for the most part, we're all on the same page. We know what our common goal is. We know how many locations we want, by what date. We know how many mastermind members we want by each month to, to gain in our masterminds. We know how many courses we want to sell. And as long as we're clear on our vision, because we communicate and give feedback, and we know the deadline and the path to get there, we're going to be a happy little team. Mm.
0: So you talk a lot about uh, non-negotiables. What are some of your non-negotiables for your day, for yourself, and then for your business?
1: So non-negotiables for me, like again, if someone wants to be a high-performing human, it doesn't matter, again, if you want to be an entrepreneur or if you want to be a world-class athlete. Uh, for me, a non-negotiable is I will not change a light bulb at home. Um, I literally walk around the house telling my wife that's not in my five percent. You know, like mm-hmm. uh, my five percent is to delegate, motivate, sell. I delegate to my team members. I motivate my team members and my business partners, and then I sell. I'm mm-hmm. the face of my business. And so if I have to change a light bulb or fix a broken sprinkler pipe, that is not in my zone of genius. That's a non-negotiable. I will not go grocery shopping. That's non-negotiable. Mm-hmm. Not, not not, even once. Mm-hmm. I haven't been in a grocery store for years. I won't go to the dry cleaners. I won't have my car washed. All these things happen, but other people do it for me. Because if I plan on having 5,700 kids adopted through Compassion International, if I want to donate $20 million by the end of my lifetime to Shriners Children's Hospital and to Toys for Todd's, I cannot go to the grocery store. Every minute of my time that's spent on a grocery store or a dry cleaner or changing a light bulb is an inconvenience that takes me away from my big reason why. Mm-hmm. And so those to me are non-negotiables. And I think if more people created non-negotiables for themselves, they find to reach their desired outcome sooner with less frustration and anxiety. Mm,
0: that was so huge for Um, Chris and I and we're always kind of looking at our life like where are we feeling most drained and where you know where is taking the most energy with the least amount of um, you know reward on the other side for us and just life and business and everything that we do and that is like it's not always an easy question to ask but it is so powerful when you stop doing those things it's like your willpower goes through the roof too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's
0: amazing. So, you know, I find one of the biggest things with people in, in business and even just creating any shifts in your life is the just belief that you can be resourceful and the idea of resourcefulness. So tell me about uh, just your feelings around when people, you know, what do you tell people who are like, I, I don't know how or I can't?
1: Yeah, good. <laughs> That's a such a great topic. So you a great example again when we came to the united states within the first year uh we lived in this particular apartment where i got lice like i said and you know my parents couldn't afford lice treatment and so my mom had to get resourceful when you don't have the resources like money to buy the lice treatment you have to get resourceful and tell your husband to siphon out gasoline from a car Mm. to wash your kid's hair and so you know i can't tell you how many times people have come to me and said well I'd start a business, but the economy sucks. I'd start a business, but the competition is too steep. I'd start a business, but I don't know how. Well, have you heard of Google? I mean, if Google, <laughs> I, I think statistically speaking, they say that Google can diagnose, if you put in your what, how, what you're feeling, it can diagnose your sickness, mm. like 87% of the time accurately. So if it can diagnose a person's illness, it can certainly, you know, if you type in how to and then fill in the blank, you know, build a piano, uh, become a chef, become a personal trainer, make money online, start a franchise. You're going to find that golden thread. And so when people tell me that they don't have the resources, I hear it as I'm weak and lazy and afraid. Mm -hmm. It's usually all three or one of the threes. I'm weak, lazy, and afraid, meaning I wanted it handed to me. I don't want to do any work. And truthfully, I'm afraid of getting rejected or failing. And so, when I, someone tells me I don't have the resources, I don't know how, the economy, whatever, I just go, listen, you have to get resourceful. Because someone once told me, and here, here's a great example of resourcefulness. They said, uh, you know, if I had the money, I would hire you as a coach, and then I would create an info product about personal training, like a digital ebook, and then sell it online so I could make passive money while I run my gym. I said, well, that's funny. Um, you don't have money to hire me that's okay but you know i've got over 1300 youtube videos where i teach online marketing product creation etc so you can create your product uh, you can you certainly have an iphone that you can shoot videos on you can write a word doc and then turn it into a pdf for free you can go to wordpress and get a free website and you can accept payments through paypal for free and you can use facebook instagram and youtube to get leads and traffic for free. And so I literally put the oxygen out on every single one of his things. Well, I don't have money to market. I don't know how to how to turn a word doc into a pdf, do a google search. I can't afford your coaching. That's okay. I've got free content out there and others have free content out there too. And I don't know how to I don't know who I'm going to pay for a website. You don't have to. WordPress is free. I can't afford a shopping cart. You don't have to. PayPal is available to you. And it's funny because when I took away all the oxygen out of this person's argument, they go, you know what? I think I'm just afraid, man. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I think (laughs) you are. You are because today, in this day and age, you cannot say, I don't have the resources. It's too easy to be resourceful. Mm.
0: Oh, my God. I love that. I I always, it's like you know, when you really start to (laughs) just like step out there in the world and you have created a business and you're really going after your dreams. It's like, I am so self-aware that when I don't yet have something or am not, uh, don't understand how to do something. It's simply because I am not willing to do the work yet. Um, (laughs) and that's the crazy part is, it is everything we could I mean, I could be Oprah if I wanted to, and it's all in my—it's all in our grasp. It's like it's in every single person's grasp. In fact, the more, just like listening to you, the more painful events that you've gone through, the more likely um, you are to probably get there because you have more of a drive. It does—it's not about you know where you came from, your education, um, any of those things. It's like how willing are you to be resourceful? I love that so much. Um, You know, it's
1: funny as you bring up Oprah here, I got to, I got to totally dive in with this. Everybody wants the Oprah income and influence and impact, but nobody was willing to go through the ridicule and eating disorders and Mm -hmm. self hate, self shame, you know, all that stuff that she went through, the Mm -hmm. the doubt, the what if she fails. And so, I mean, Oprah's story is very public. Just Google her and, and, and you'll see, but, it's crazy how everybody wants the outcome, but no one's willing to walk through the fire. Mm-hmm. So you nailed it. You could be Oprah if you want, if you were just willing to deal with that much pain. Mm-hmm. There's like someone's like, "Hey, Bezos, why don't you want fifteen thousand locations? Like, like Curves had Curves at one point had fifteen thousand oh franchise God. locations. I go, all I want is twenty five hundred because I value my family and my lifestyle too much. I mm-hmm. like going out surfing once a week. I like getting my consistent workouts in, and I realize that there's a trade-off when I have fifteen thousand locations, and I'm not willing to do it. Not that I don't know how I'm not willing to make that trade off. And that's to be able to say I'm not willing to do it versus I don't know how is so empowering. Mm -hmm. Mm, Right?
0: Definitely. Yes. What for you right now is most exciting in your life, in your personal life? Like what is kind of pulling you out of bed?
1: You know, what's pulling me out of bed now is to be able to help more Entrepreneurs who are kind of emerging. It's it's really neat what's happened, and I think maybe Gary Vaynerchuk and Andy Priscilla are are taking the lead in this by making entrepreneurship cool, which is awesome because I think more people should become entrepreneurs. Should look at themselves as even if you're working for someone, look at yourself as an intrapreneur. Don't just go, hey, I just do my job and show up. No, every single person in my company, from the web developer to the to the guy shooting shooting the videos to to the sales guy every person can influence the needle, make a website that converts better. And all of a sudden we're making more money, make videos that are more compelling. And all of a sudden we're making more money. And if you look at yourself as an entrepreneur, even if you work for someone, you you all of a sudden have this entrepreneurial spirit of what can I do to make my job produce better results for the company. And of course the company should give me more money because of it. Um, so in, in this particular case, um, Entrepreneurship has become so popular now with with Andy Frisilla and and Gary Vaynerchuk and others, Grant Cardone, taking the lead on that, that now platforms like Instagram and Facebook and YouTube, I'm able to go, hey, guess what? I can help you. If you want to open up a a franchise, if you want to turn your gym into this multi-chain outlet, I love giving away the free content and teaching that stuff. And I love it so much that I decided I was going to write a book and I embarked on this mission to write a book about uh, entrepreneur leadership because for me the, the the difference between the slow growth of fit body boot camp and me being passive aggressive with my employees back in 2010 11 and 12 and us being on the inc 5000 list and entrepreneur 500 list and top 15 franchise on the planet the di- now the difference between those two are my leadership skills so i decided to hey i love giving free content out so much that i think i'm going to write a book on entrepreneur leadership mm. So to me, what wakes me up today, what gets me excited, is to be able to give back, which I guess is really all about Pavlo's uh, hierarchy of needs. In other words, mm-hmm. you first take care of yourself. Okay, do I have food, air, water, shelter? Yes. Okay, great. Now, do I do I am I making enough money to take care of my family? Okay, yes. So I'm taking care of myself and my immediate family. Now, can I leave a legacy behind? Can I can I pay it forward to others? And so you get to that self actualization that's at the very top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And so I'm at this really cool state of being able to give back through my book that's coming out and through social media platforms, um, through speaking at events, um, plenty of events. I just go out and speak for free because I like the audience. They're young entrepreneurs or they're entrepreneurs that are just big on their vision, but have no idea on how to get there. And I love being able to influence them. So that's what excites me these days. Mm.
0: You you give back in such a massive way, no matter where you show up. I've seen you show up in so many different places. And honestly, um, you know, you had invited Chris and I down to be able to spend some time with you and sit and ask you any questions that we wanted. And I, it was like a feast. I was just like, this is the best day ever because um, to be able to talk with someone who number one comes from where you came from and then has created what you've created, uh, the journey along who you have had to become Come just in that is what is so interesting to me, and also so much help with obviously um, our masterminds and business and things like that. So, that makes me wonder what do you think are the three, like, biggest or more or less uh, traits of a leader? How do we embody, like, these? What are the most important things to a body embody uh, as leaders?
1: Well. The three biggest things I would say is one, you have to be self-disciplined. In other words, if you want to be a leader, you can't expect your team to do things that you won't do. So, if I expect my team to show up early and not just on time, I have to get here before them, or at least I have to wake up before them. So, for me, I lead from the front, and I tell all my coaching clients: you have to lead from the front, be disciplined. If, if I'm starting a fitness business, I better look fit. If I want to if I want my team to show up on time, I better show up earlier on time. And so one is be self-disciplined. Number two, be clear on your vision and path. Most people don't know what they want and when they want it by. Like I know I want 2,500 locations of Fit Body Bootcamp worldwide by the year 2023 because when we're there, we'll be impacting 10 million lives every morning through our workouts and nutrition programs. Mm. So I'm very clear on my vision so I can then share that with my team My team can get excited about the fact that when we hit our goal, we're going to help 10 million people every morning. So self-discipline or self-leadership is one so that you're not an imposter or you're not a phony or a hypocrite. No one wants to be led by a hypocrite. I can tell you that. Number two is clarity of vision and path. And number three is decisiveness. You have to be a super decisive person. That doesn't mean you have to make the right decision every single time, Lori. It just means that when a decision must be made, you can't hem and haw about it. You'll never have enough information to make the right decision a hundred percent of the time. But you make a decision, and if it's the right one, you go with it. If it's the wrong one, you you find out soon enough. You course correct, and then you go with the right decision. But those three things will take anyone from a what I call a crop duster boss <laughs> to a to a fighter jet leader.
0: Mm, that's amazing. So, how did you get? You know, I you have a um, a business that's very like. Uh, tangible in numbers is and I want this many and I'll impact this many people. If it's a less structured vision, is it more like I guess I'm kind of pigeonholing myself saying I need to get more clear on my vision. Um <laughs> thinking like what exactly do I want for that? Do you think it's really important to have really specific numbers uh even if you're not quite sure on something that's new let's just say even for putting a book out or putting a new program out is there is it really important to always have specific a specific target
1: i think so i think so because it gives you some my fuzzy the the it might be fuzzy but it's still some target in other words like right now i'm standing in my office and i'm looking towards the mountains uh towards mount baldy here in southern california and and as i look I see the mountain, but if somewhere between where I am and the mountain, there was some yellow and red target on top of one of the buildings that I'm looking at, I could, even though it's fuzzy and and it's far out in the distance, I could still see that it would stand out. So for me, I don't, I've never written a book before. I don't know how many books I'm going to sell, but I've set the goal to sell 50,000 copies Mm -hmm. within the first six months that my book comes out. Mm -hmm. My hope is that I achieve that goal and surpass it, but I'm going to do everything I can Mm -hmm. To get on as many podcasts, to get on as many stages, to get as many bulk orders, to get as many Amazon sales, as many bookstore sales, book tours as possible, TV shows, et cetera. So from the PR company that we've hired to the podcast that I'll be on, my goal is 50,000. So when I take all those resources and I divide it by 50,000, I go, oh gosh, I just have to sell like 30 from each of these avenues. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden it's like, you know, that's not a scary thing after all. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have a clear vision, even if the product is new, like my book's not even out, I don't know how I'm going to sell. But if you don't have a vision, then you don't know how many podcasts you need to be on. You won't, you don't know if you need to get a PR company that needs to start four months in advance or just a month before your book launch. Um, so having some measurable number, albeit fuzzy is better than not having a number or a metric or a deadline at all.
0: So do you, um, and for me, it's easy to kind of like let go of, cause I've had so much work in it. It didn't used to be easy, but now even if I have that number, cause I have a number in mind for my book, it's kind of like, if I don't hit it, I'm not going to, you know, freak out. But at the same time, it's important to have that. So how do you dance between really making sure you do everything to hit it? And then if you don't, like, how do you get over, um, the disappointment?
1: You know, I've learned to let go of things. I've got this amazing ability to just let go of things quickly. Mm. And, and I think more people need that. Mm-hmm. Let go of the broken marriage. Let go of the weekend of bad eating and just take Monday and, and, and dominate your diet and your workouts. Uh, I started so many businesses, a supplement company that failed and left me broke and homeless mm. for a period of time. A software company that was so bad, we were getting more people asking for refunds than buying <laughs> products. That that I had to that I have to shut down, but I just go, I, I don't beat myself up over it. I don't consider myself a loser. I don't say that that's a sign that I shouldn't be an entrepreneur. I just go, learned a lesson, move on. Mm. And so you've got to be able to disconnect, to have this magical ability to just go, F it, I'm done. I'm done with this. I'm moving on to the next thing without doubting yourself, beating yourself up or having any second thoughts is 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 super important. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's something inherent to me or if everyone can can build that skill. I know I didn't have that skill, and now I do. Mm-hmm. But I think it's being punched in the face enough. You get mm-hmm. punched in the face enough, you realize, oh, I don't have to fall. I don't have to die. I, I just get a little lightheaded, or I start mm-hmm. tearing up, or my nose bleeds. Because uh, I got a friend; he's an MMA fighter, and and I just for fun, I said, hey, let's get in the ring and just just fight. <laughs> and as soon as he just barely tapped me on the face—I mean, a tap—it could have been like a love tap. Uh, I, I was on, on the ground, and, and he stood, stood over me, and he goes, Pedros, you know, you don't, you don't have to fall every time you get punched in the face.
0: <laughs> I was like, I don't?
1: He goes, no. No, your brain will tell you when to fall because it'll get concussed so hard that it'll temporarily shut off, and your body will fall. The muscles will relax, and you'll fall. But otherwise, when you get hit, just know that it's going to feel hot and stingy, and you're going to tear up, and there might be some blood, but you don't have to fall. Wow. I later learned that same lesson reading Marcus Luttrell's book, Lone Survivor. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's a Navy SEAL that was stuck in the, in the uh, Afghanistan mountains after his three SEAL buddies were killed. And as he's talking about in his book and I go, holy crap, like this MMA fighter told me the same thing. Mm -hmm. The lesson was they're taught that, Hey, if you're a soldier, you're a Navy SEAL, you're shot. You don't have to lay there and bleed out. You can keep shooting Mm -hmm. until you lose enough blood where your blood pressure goes away and you pass out. Mm. But you stay in the fight until your body quits, not, your, not you mentally quit. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's been a really good lesson in life um, that that more people, you can take more punches than you realize. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think most of us think that because we get punched or shot, we're supposed to fall. As it turns out, you're not. And an mm-hmm. MMA fighter and a Navy SEAL have proven that.
0: Mm. I love that. And it's not as intense of a story, but I I literally, if I, I kind of adopted that early on because I, um, in my teenage years, I'd watched my mom get panic attacks. So I immediately got panic attacks. It's crazy how that can happen. Um, and I just carried them in through my twenties and in through my thirties. And I've learned that unless it makes me pass out, like, I don't have to stop what I'm doing. Like, I don't have right. to stop talking. I don't have, it doesn't have to stop me from getting on stages. Like, if it makes me pass out, then that's my journey. And I'm going to teach people that you can do it, even if you pass out on stage. But if it doesn't, then, (laughs) then you can keep standing. Like, and I think if we all looked at whatever it was that was stopping us, because some of us just don't know how, how big the fear is going to get, you know what I mean? They're like, this is scary. How big, how big does this get? So what does that wave look like for you? Like, what's the biggest the fear has gotten? And do you just ride it?
1: Oh man, the biggest that the fear has gotten was when we launched, I mean, here's a great example of fear and then having to overcome it, being at a fork in the road and looking at adversity as an advantage. But when we first started Fit Body Bootcamp in 2010, we were a licensing program, not a franchise. So we would just license our our logo and our brand to trainers who wanted to open up a bootcamp. Well, as it turns out, at some point we said, well, okay, now we're going to license out our brand to you and we're going to give you a protected territory. Well, by doing that protected territory thing, we had crossed the line from a licensing program into a franchise. Mm. I didn't even know it. I didn't even know it. And so the great state of California came to us and said, hey, guess what? You've got 180 licensed locations out there mm. and um, you're operating as a franchise. And so we're going to fine you $2,500 per location. Oh my God. And they might as well have said $25 million per location because I didn't have that kind of money to give them. $2,500 per location times 180 locations. And so we were at a fork in the road. Oh, what do we do? Mm. And so it was one of those things where, all right, let's talk to them, level with them. They're humans after all who run the government. Listen, this is how we started. Before you know it, our owners want a little more protection. So we said, we'll give you protected territory. Before you know it, they wanted to know how much we should charge. So we told them, here's your pricing structure. And all those things slowly took us from a licensing program into a franchise territory, which we didn't even know, mm. we apologize. Because of that, Just again, going back to communicating, being transparent, they go, you know what? You don't owe us anything then, don't pay any fines, but don't sell you another location until you become a franchise. So then I was able to scrape together $83,000 to get a franchise attorney to help us franchise, which took us 11 months, and then finally we started selling more locations. But there's a great example of fear, like oh my gosh, talk about riding a wave in. Mm. Like, here, here we are. I thought this thing was going to be this global brand that we were going to change lives. That's all I wanted to do with my, my my Fit Body Bootcamp locations. And now the state of California wants hundreds of thousands of dollars from me in fines. Mm. And while, you know, we were like, okay, let's just fold, let's just close shop, back to the drawing board, ask them if we can make the money in payments or make the payments uh, over, over time. I was like, wait a minute, can I just talk? to Is there someone above you that I can talk to and just let me just plea my case and can a, a human hear me out? Mm. And, and, and if you see it fit, let me know if I can make payments or if you can waive this, if I promise to not sell another location until I become a legitimate franchise. And sure Fair enough, man, people do, people are compassionate. They do have grace. And, and you know, the great state of California said, Hey, listen, seems like it was an honest mistake on your part, become a franchise and get back into business. And that was a very, Big wave of fear. I had to ride, mm-hmm. but riding that wave of fear now lets me ride many other waves of mm-hmm. fears, smaller. <laughs> mm-hmm. like, once to be an elephant, you can eat a you can eat a zebra. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: You know? There's so many cool magical pieces to that story that you just shared, actually, because I think there's some magic in the naivety, is that the right word, um, of being like, let's just do this and this is what they want, so let's give it to them. Like, I've done that so many times where all of a sudden I'm in an area where it's like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Yet, if you wouldn't have done it, you may not have now stepped into this territory of of franchising or of going into the next direction or of being forced to go into the next direction, have you noticed that as you of course you 've noticed this, um, but what 's an example of something that you 've done that has just naturally gone into kind of the next thing that you would not have expected or that that could have been um, something bad that 's turned out amazing?
1: A great example of that is actually you know the building that you came to visit yeah. um, at our corporate office, so we 've got a beautiful fifteen thousand square foot building and decorated real nicely well. That wasn't supposed to be our corporate office. Our corporate office was supposed to be in the city of Chino, across the street from the men's prison, this uh, little warehouse that I bought for 6,000 square feet. Well, after buying it, three days after the escrow closed, my wife goes, Hey, look, it's across the street from the Chino State Prison. And while I've seen the prison there before, I just, you know, it's not a big deal to me because when you're around it a lot, when you live, it's not a big deal. Um, but I don't want this to be the first impression that my clients are going to see. And it goes back to being just being naive and being fully authentic and transparent. I was like, Hey honey, I regretting this million dollar building. I can't believe the first building that we try and buy ends up being such a sour experience. We obviously can't get our money back. It's not like it's a, you know, you just go return it. And so three days after that conversation, we see this building come up for sale, the one that we're in now, which is in Chino Hills and not in Chino. It's a beautiful building. Um, You know, so much potential, but for $3 million, I didn't even have a million dollars at that point, let alone 3 million, but I knew I wanted to be in this building. And so again, being naive, I contacted the real estate agent. I said, Hey, I think uh, I'd like to tour the building. I toured it, loved it. I think I'd like to make an offer on it. Great. But I'd like to make the offer directly to the owner, not via an agent. He goes, that that doesn't happen. He has to go through the paperwork. Said no, no, no. I'd like to talk to the owner. The reason I wanted to talk to the owner was I had no money. I needed the owner to look me in the eyes, to hear my story, listen to my purpose and my passion about Fit Body Bootcamp. Hear how I made a big mistake with the what I call the million dollar mistake, which is the the building in Chino, which we now turned into a gym. So you know we're making the best use out of it. But and I sat and his name was Mr. Blevin, and I sat across from him in this building, and I go, hey, look. Uh, actually, I'm not here to make an offer because I don't have any money. I'm so sorry that I lied to your agent, but I needed to talk to you. You're selling this building. I know my franchise belongs in it, but I bought a building across the across town. Uh, it was a bad decision that I made. If, if you can just somehow owner finance this building to me until the escrow closes, within six months, I'll have made enough money back where I can do a conventional escrow. And he kicked me out of the place. He kicked me out of the room mm. and for lying to him. And, and I did. I guess I lied to, to get a meeting with him but I kept following up with him with passion and persistence and after about a month and a half the agent reached out to me and said you know what Mr. Blevin wants to owner finance it he just loves this 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 thing about you that you're just so driven and relentless and and he sees a lot of himself in you you know cuz he's an older gentleman and I'm guessing he started scrapping like I did when when he was young And so again, a great example of where you turn an adversity into an advantage, again, being fully transparent, letting him know the big financial mistake I made across town. I need him to own or find, but I asked him to do something that he he shouldn't even be asking an owner of a building to do. I asked the state of California to do something that no one would think of asking the state of California to do. You just ask people to do things for you. And as long as you're honest and transparent and you come from a good place, I think things just naturally work out for people. Mm. at least that's how that's how it works out for me. Mm.
0: oh, my gosh. I could literally talk to you all day because you have given us so much amazing information. um and and honestly, like just that s- simple um idea of asking and just really going in and sharing um you know passionately who you are and what you really desire. I mean, that has, I look back at everything that I've been able to achieve. And honestly, a lot of it came from just like really honest conversations of asking. <laughs> it's amazing what can happen yeah. from that. So, um, Bedros, where, I, you have an amazing book coming out, but not for a little while. But we just want to get people really excited because there's so much wisdom in there. Um, but where can we find you, follow you, all that good stuff?
1: Uh, you can find me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Bedros Koolian or go right to my book's website, which is manup.com. And uh, you can not only learn about my book, but also be connected directly to all my social media platforms.
0: Oh, I'm so grateful for you. And I'm learning so much from you just about uh, what it means to show up truly as a leader and someone who is also such a mentor. Um, that's one of the biggest things about you. I think that just makes everybody want to be in your space and work with you and just have you as a friend is that you are truly always giving back in such a beautiful way. So, Um, I am being a massive observer of your path because I just think it's beautiful to watch and I would love to model it. So I just want to thank you for being on the show and uh, just grateful for who you are.
1: Well, thank you so much. And I really appreciate the opportunity to to have me on your show because if it wasn't for shows like what you're doing here and what Chris is doing with his podcast, like People who have a great message, a voice to share, uh, really wouldn't have the platform. So I appreciate you. Mm,
0: Thank you so much. And you guys, if you loved this episode as much as I did, make sure you share it and definitely go follow Bedros. And you guys, until next time, earn your happy. Bye, everyone. Thank you guys so much for spending this time with me on the Earn Your Happy podcast. I am so glad that you stopped by. Thanks again guys. Bye bye.